The North American Free Trade Agreement marked its 24th birthday to start 2018. The big question is, will it see its 25th? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe for Unpublished Ottawa. I'm Ed Hand. While U.S. President Bill Clinton and Canadian Prime Minister Jean Chrétien signed the agreement to take effect in 1994, NAFTA's origins go further back. Ronald Reagan introduced a North American common market as part of his 1980 election campaign. NAFTA started as a free trade agreement between Canada and the U.S., and in the early 90s, then-President George H. Bush brought Mexico to the table, which has led to the current agreement in place. The North American Free Trade Agreement has been a political football for many politicians, in particular U.S. presidents, as we've seen since Donald Trump entered the presidential race in 2015. While it decries the deal is unfair to Americans, the agreement has accomplished its seven goals. Under Article 102 of the NAFTA Agreement, there are seven specific goals. Grant the signatory's most favored nation status, eliminate barriers to trade and facilitate the cross-border movement of goods and services, promote conditions of fair competition, increase investment opportunities, provide protection and enforcement of intellectual property rights, create procedures for the resolution of trade disputes, establish a framework for further trilateral, regional, and multilateral cooperation to expand the trade agreement's benefits. Despite ringing the bell on all of these, U.S. President Trump wants it renegotiated or has threatened to pull out altogether. To get an idea how much this means to all North Americans, in 2016, trilateral trade reached nearly $1 trillion U.S., more than a threefold increase since 1993. 400,000 people and over $2.4 billion worth of goods and services cross the Canada-U.S. border every day. Since 1993, Mexico-Canada merchandise trade grew ninefold, while services trade has increased sixfold. Negotiations have been going all week in Washington, with the U.S. pushing hard for an agreement soon before the Mexican election on July 1st in the U.S. midterms. While there's considerable hand-wringing over NAFTA, one group suggests that Canada should not be pushed into a corner making a hasty decision. Scott Sinclair is a senior economics researcher with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, and he joins us on the Unpublished Cafe. Now, Scott, in terms of the policy alternatives and you and your commentary in the TIE, are you against NAFTA or just a hasty decision? Well, I, I think that um, there's certainly a possibility to replace NAFTA with uh, a, a better um, uh, arrangements. Uh, NAFTA has uh, failed in, in many respects, and, and for that's part of the reason that we're in the situation that we are today, is that uh, Trump has exploited that uh, anxiety on the part of uh, of uh, U.S. workers. But uh, right now, I mean, we're we're faced with a situation where Canada is being pressured uh, to meet U.S. imposed timelines to do with their own internal uh, fast track situation and, and congressional approval. And in in my view, uh, we're we're just not close. Uh, to uh, resolving the key issues and that, that Canada should not be uh, bullied into uh, a short-term agreement. You, you mentioned uh, possibly replacing with a better, uh, a better agreement. What, what about NAFTA, from your perspective, failed, and, and what would you like to see make it better? Well, um, I mean, one element of, of NAFTA that certainly uh, failed Canada is its investor-state dispute settlement mechanism, where we've been the most sued country and we've seen attacks on our environmental protection, 
uh, laws and regulations, um, such, such as the recent Bilcon case, which is in my region of the country, where uh, a NAFTA panel uh, sided with a U.S. investor against uh, an environmental assessment review, and, and now we face potentially hundreds of millions of dollars in in, uh, in damages. Um, so, but you know, there are there are many. Uh, New issues now on the table. If uh, the U.S. wants Canada to align its intellectual property rules uh, with theirs, and that could cost Canada billions of dollars. Uh, if we lock ourselves into the wrong kind of digital trade rules, that could undermine our privacy rights and and innovative Canadian farm firms. Uh, there are issues around supply management, which are well known. Our dairy farmers are, you know, very nervous. So, yeah. Um, there's also some opportunities. I mean, there's an opportunity to get rid of investor-state dispute settlement in this round of negotiations. There's a an opportunity, particularly if we wait for a new Mexican government, to strengthen the labor aspects of of of, uh, of NAFTA and and put a floor under uh, wages and and uh, the right to organize, which just you know hasn't existed in, in NAFTA up till now in in, in Mexico up till now. From your perspective, why do you feel it's impossible to to, to reach a deal between all three countries on the U.S. timeline? Well, I just think the gaps are are too large at this point, Ed. I mean, there are just too many uh, um, uh, outstanding issues, whether it's, you know, around intellectual property, where they don't even have a common uh, consolidated text, as they they call it, yet. Um, government procurement, they're very, very far apart. Uh, it looks like they're making some progress around auto rules of origin, but not everything is going to uh, fall into place simply if if, uh, if they resolve that issue. So, I mean, what the U.S. wants essentially is an agreement in principle on their terms, and uh, I don't think it would be in Canada's interest to go along with that. And I, as I said, the gaps are so large, it's hard to imagine that it's achievable in the next week or so. Yeah, as uh, as we find out this morning, Paul Ryan says he wants this in place by May 17th. And, and from your perspective, obviously, not realistic. No, no, I don't think it's realistic. And he's even said, you know, they would need a, uh, a full tax. Congress would need a full tax. So, you know, the timelines uh, under the U.S. Fast Track Authority are very structured and, uh, the chances of even if Canada were to agree to a hasty deal of this actually being passed this year are slim and uh, close close to vanishing. So we would just tie our hands uh, in the negotiations, uh, and and it would be all for naught, I think. Scott Sinclair is joining us in the Unpublished Cafe, a senior economics researcher with the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives as we discuss NAFTA and the accelerated timeline to get it done. And from your perspective, what should Canadian workers be concerned about if a rushed agreement is agreed to? Well, um, I've mentioned uh, dairy farmers, for example. Uh, Certainly uh, their livelihood is is on the line. Um, In integrated... Uh, industries like autos, obviously, uh, the, the wrong kinds of, of rules could could uh, really um, put Canadian uh, Canadian plants um, at, at a disadvantage. I think that you know Canadian citizens and consumers have to think about uh, the, the kind of the, the structural issues as well. I've mentioned investor state dispute settlement and. Mm-hmm. 
um, which affects our right to regulate, which after, you know, 20 years, we're, there's lots of evidence that that, that was a, a mistake, and uh, this is a, a chance to correct it. The intellectual property rules are very important for things like uh, the federal government's pledge to put in place a, a pharmacare program. It could be a lot more expensive if we are if we knuckle under and, and adopt U.S. style rules, it could cost us billions of dollars. And, and yeah, and it could, you know, that those the wrong types of rules can affect uh, the innovativeness and competitiveness of Canadian cutting edge uh, tech firms and and, and R and D. So. Again, this is not the kind of thing you want to rush into. Well, when you talk about the rules and the regulations, U.S. President Trump wants to reduce regulatory burden. Are you concerned about that, or is that the direction you'd like to see? No, I, I am quite concerned about it. I mean, basically, he's got it, the Environmental Protection Agency, or had his, his uh, appointee, Scott Pruitt, do that. And, uh, yeah, I'm a bit concerned that uh, Canadian negotiators are are somewhat too open to that uh, to that agenda. And, uh, you know, the next, I guess you would say, wave of, of um, restrictions in, in being negotiated in, in international uh, trade agreements are around something called regulatory cooperation. And it's basically kind of an early warning system for, for foreign corporations to... Uh, interfere or get wind of uh, planned regulations that, that harm their interests. But, you know, those are, those are public protections, and, and we need the balance that a, that a democratic system and proper oversight and public debate give us in, in making those regulations around, you know, key issues like mm-hmm. uh, climate change and, and others. I wonder, Scott, has the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives taken a look at uh, what would happen to the Canadian economy if NAFTA fails? Yes, uh, we have looked at that, and, and many others, including Canadian uh, banks, have, have put out studies. And uh, if Trump went through with his threat to withdraw from NAFTA, which is starting to look less likely, I have to say, but if he did, uh, you know, it wouldn't we wouldn't it wouldn't be the law of the jungle. We would revert to WTO tariff rates, and and reverting reverting to the. WTO tariff rates we've calculated would be equivalent to about a a one a one point five percent tariff on on the value of of Canadian exports. So that's that's a disruption for sure. It will hit some uh, sectors harder than others, uh, the high tariff sectors, but it would be manageable. And and I would have to say we're gratified that. There have been many subsequent studies by the Bank of Montreal and, and others that have, uh, the um, IMF have come to the same conclusion, that it would be disruptive but manageable. You know, when we look at this, Canada, the U.S., the Mexican economies are all intertwined with, with, with this North American Free Trade Agreement. But if it fails, how do we untangle that? Well, we don't have control over what uh, Donald Trump does. I mean, we what we have to do is approach uh, uh, this negotiation in, in the spirit of getting uh, getting the rules right. And, uh, you know, I think it's uh, certainly far better to take more time to, to do that than to rush into rush into a bad deal, which which could leave us worse off mm-hmm. than, uh, than if he pulls the trigger on NAFTA. 
If uh, you mentioned the world, uh, the WTO tariffs, but if, if Trump withdraws from NAFTA, uh, what chance do you see of the, can- the, of the old Canada-U.S. free trade agreement coming back into effect, the one from 1989? I, I think it's slight. Uh, it, it's, it's, I, I guess you could say it's technically possible. But, um, I mean, if, he, uh, if his administration uh, revokes the NAFTA or rejects the NAFTA, uh, you know, many of the same elements that they object to, such as the dispute settlement mechanism for, um, uh, around countervailing duty and anti-dumping actions, U.S. trade remedy actions, are, are also in the Canada-U.S. free trade agreement. So it really would... Um, just trigger another set of negotiations, perhaps bilaterally between Canada and the U.S. So, no, I don't mm. think that's a, a feasible option. I think what we'd be looking at would be uh, reversion to WTO wor- rules. Mm. All right. Well, Scott, I want to thank you for joining us today. Okay, my pleasure, Ed. Uh, good talking to you. I'd like to thank Scott Sinclair of the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives for joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. You can hear the clock ticking on the U.S. pushed deadline to renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement. If the deal disintegrates between the three countries, it will have a broad economic impact. And to get his perspective on the size of the impact and whether NAFTA can be saved, I'm pleased to be joined by Matthew Stewart. He's the Director of National Forecasting at the Conference Board of Canada, who authored a report on the fallout of NAFTA. Thank you for joining us, Matthew. Uh, thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you could join us. Can Canada financially survive the end of NAFTA? Uh, sure. Uh, the impact isn't going to be, uh, it's not going to drive us into recession, but it is going to have a pretty significant impact on the economy and on economic growth and our competitiveness. How is it going to impact the competitiveness? Well, you know, when you think of uh, the impact on, on the economy, most people think of, well, we're not going to be able to exit export to the United States. But that's only uh, part of the part of the impact. You know, when you take an example, you look at the autos and parts, and uh, we export, uh, you know, a significant amount uh, to the United States and autos and parts. But in fact, only a fraction of that is produced in Canada. Uh, a lot of that, uh, the supply chain impacts, we we import from the United States. So it would have a, a huge impact on the cost of all of those imports and uh, make us a lot less competitive uh, for our exports to the United States and also to the rest of the world. What kind of job losses would uh, Canada possibly be looking at? Well, according to our estimates, uh, we think we lose about 75,000 jobs uh, during the first year. So, you know, a significant impact, um, but uh, it's not enough to drive us in a recession. I I think the real impact is around our competitiveness, uh, which affects our our long-term wage growth uh, and how much income uh, the average households earn. Now, in terms of competitiveness, when you know we have this North American Free Trade Agreement, is that maybe a sign that Canada needs to, to trade with more countries around the world? Yeah, that's one of the solutions. Uh, you know, we've got to focus on our other trading partners. Uh, you know, export more into China and more into Europe, and that's why we see more trade agreements. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is that most of our trade, um, you know, more than seventy percent goes to the United States. So it's hard to, you know, hard to to fight that. Uh, when our, you know, our largest trader, trading partner puts uh, tariffs uh, on, it'll, it'll hard to offset that impact. Matthew Stewart is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. He's the Director of National Forecasting on the con- at the Conference Board of Canada as we discuss NAFTA and possibly the end of the agreement. And, you know, Matthew, first off, we, we talked about autom- automobiles and auto parts and such, but what products do you see the impact immediately being hit in terms of price if NAFTA fails? I think the largest impact would be autos and parts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what we expect would happen is, is if NAFTA breaks down, 
uh, we would see a return to the tariffs that uh, are under the WTO, the World Trade Organization. And the tariffs for motor vehicles and parts uh, that Canada goods would face going into the U.S. Or it would be a little less than 3%. So it doesn't seem, you know, overwhelming. Um, but all of the supply chain goods that come into Canada from the U.S., that would face tariffs of, a, of just under 5%. So that would make us, you know, less competitive. It would challenge uh, our ability to trade. Um, so it would have, you know, have a significant impact. Motor vehicles and parts would be the biggest uh, impact because it's so, the supply chain is so integrated across the border. But also things like uh, chemicals, um, other manufactured goods, consumer goods, uh, all of those would have pretty significant impacts. What's the impact on an, uh, foreign investment? Uh, well, that's, that's one of the key uh, areas that we, our economy would see a hit. Uh, when you look at the Canadian economy over the last couple of years, one of our biggest challenges has been attracting uh, investment into Canada. Uh, investment is, is actually still down about four, $46 billion from the high that we saw in 2014. So we're already having challenges attracting investment. And the insecurity around NAFTA is one of the key reasons for that. So if NAFTA were to collapse, uh, that would be uh, one of the long-term impacts, would be our inability to, to capture more investment, because a lot of the companies that do invest in Canada invest because they see it as an attractive place to get goods into the United States. Um, so all of that would be, uh, would be at risk. Yeah, you mentioned the insecurity regarding investment in Canada. Why would there be the insecurity? Because it looks like Canada just can't live up up to an agreement? Well, I, I, it, just because there'd be so much, uh, you know, especially at first, there'd be a lot of insecurity. Okay, what ex- what exactly the tariffs that we would face? And it's it's not just the the return to the World Trade Organization tariffs. You know, that I think companies could deal with that in the, in the short or in the long term. But it's also all these extra tariffs that, that seem to be announced uh, recently. You know, uh, like President Trump announced the 25% tariff on steel and alu- 10% on aluminum. Um, and this just creates further insecurity that maybe there's more tariffs coming. Uh, and this, this just adds to the insecurity and, and makes us less of a, a source for investment dollars. Now, what about domestic investment? If, if foreign investment is on the decline here, do you see domestic investment on the decline as well? Well, yeah, we do a, actually a survey of, of large Canadian companies, and we ask them for some of the reasons why they're not investing in, in Canada, um, because investment has been down in recent years. And, uh, you know, some of the reasons that they give uh, are, are, you know, they, that they're worried about access to U.S. markets, um, that also that the U.S. is a more attractive place to invest, that the, some of the labor costs uh, in the United States have, have declined. Uh, and these are all, all factors that we're going to have to fight, um, you know, if, if it looks like NAFTA is going to collapse. You know, with, with NAFTA, we've had, a, you know, obviously the economies are integrated. We've got a lot of uh, intertwined economies. We've got a lot of uh, temporary workers crossing the border, services going across the border. What's the impact on, on that if, if NAFTA fails? Well, you know, that's, that's first on, on uh, employment. Uh, you know, that's a, a big uncertainty. Um, I'm not quite sure how it's going to affect uh, employment, but, uh, you know, we'll have to see what kind of, what kind of uh, agreement, uh, you know, takes its place. Um, you know, whether we get sort of a, you know, half NAFTA or, you know, as they call it, zombie NAFTA, which is, you know, it's not quite defeated, but it's not quite there. And we'll have to wait and see exactly what, uh, what takes its place. And I think it's this insecurity that, also has a large impact on the Canadian economy. You know, in terms of the Canadian economy, obviously we've got we, we we've got provinces here. 
who's going to take the brunt if NAFTA fails? Well, uh, it'll be widespread across, uh, you know, all of the provinces, but the largest impact will be Ontario. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason for that is, you know, then the auto industry is, is uh, in largely in Ontario and that's the largest, uh, the largest industry that's going to face declines in the event of an NAFTA collapse. So Ontario would see the, the largest impact, um, but other provinces would also see substantial declines. From your perspective, how optimistic are you NAFTA will survive? Well, you know, economists don't agree on a lot of things, uh, mm-hmm. but I think the benefits of trade are, are clearly one of them. So I find it hard to believe that we would let an agreement that is, has so clearly benefited both countries um, you know, disappear. So I am optimistic that we will see NAFTA survive. Um, but I, I got to say the news uh, isn't great. We sort of follow the Twitter account on a daily basis uh, to see what's going on. Um, so there, there is a huge amount of risk. And I think we're still far apart on a lot of the key areas of disagreement. Matthew, I want to thank you for joining us. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Matthew Stewart is the Director of National Forecasting with the Conference Board of Canada. And they did the report on the impacts on the Canadian economy if NAFTA doesn't survive. As mentioned, we all started hearing about the demise of NAFTA. Where else? On President Trump's Twitter feed. Quote, worst trade deal in the history of the world. And quote, the greatest disaster trade deal in the history of the world. But is it? According to the Trade Leadership Coalition in the U.S., 14 million jobs are supported through NAFTA. The U.S. exports twice as many vehicles than before NAFTA was signed. The U.S. had a $23 billion trade surplus in goods between the two partners, Canada and Mexico. And with those kind of numbers, you think the man behind the art of the deal would be on side. Well, to get some more perspective south of the 49th parallel, I'm pleased to be joined by... Jamie McInerney, Executive Director of the Trade Leadership Coalition. Thank you for joining us, Jamie. Pleased to be with you, Ed. Maybe first off, you can just explain what the Leadership Coalition is. Yeah, you bet. Um, This is a group of of industries and and associations that um, understand the importance of international trade um, and want uh, common sense rules uh, and agreements in place that help facilitate cross-border commerce um, that, uh, you know, creates new business opportunities um, for businesses uh, throughout, you know, North America and throughout the world. And also, very importantly, um, you know, lowers prices for consumers. Which industries make up the coalition? Uh, it's a broad uh, group of industries. You know, every sort of sector you can think of, you know, manufacturing, energy, technology. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a wide-ranging group of folks. All right. From the perspective of the coalition, how well has NAFTA been a job creation in the U.S.? Uh, well, it, it, as you you know said in your your lead in here, you know, 14 million jobs uh, in the U.S. depend on NAFTA. Um, I mean, that's a that's a, a very important number that uh, that can't be dismissed. I mean, I think you know when you and and when you drill down into the supply chains of of key group, you know, industries like the auto industry, you quickly realize that the you know, a car, say, produced in Mexico actually has usually somewhere around 40 percent uh, U.S. content in it. So, you know, by by just looking at sort of the gross total numbers of, of exports, you you miss sometimes a little bit, you know, the, the nuance that goes into that, which is that, you know, our, our North American economies are, are really uh, linked together and and exports from one of these of our countries actually uh, stimulates job creation across all three. You know, from U.S. President Trump's perspective, though, it sounds like 
America has been getting the shaft in this agreement, and obviously you don't see that see it that way. What what's his end game here? Well, you know, they're as I'm sure your listeners know, um, urgently working towards a uh, a NAFTA 2.0 agreement. Uh, all of the lead negotiators are in Washington D.C. this week, so we will see where those um, discussions progress. I know there have. There has been some, you know, the, the reports out of the, the ongoing meetings are that there has been some, some good progress made, uh, and, and we will see if the agreement can be modernized. I, I think in, in what our perspective is, importantly, is that, you know, a, a NAFTA 2.0 deal should add to the uh, existing success of NAFTA by updating it for the 21st century, but uh, it should not um, put in place sort of increased protectionist measures or, or anything that would that would fundamentally disrupt the success that we already experience. And what kind of an update would you like to see? Well, you know, I mean, there's certainly, you know, the, the, the agreement was negotiated over 25 years ago. So, you know, one area that, uh, that springs to mind is, is the energy. Um, in, in the last few years, Mexico has, has sort of reopened its energy industry for um international investment. Um, they had a constitutional reform that, uh, you know, and, and NAFTA was, or energy was purposely left out of the initial NAFTA because of, uh, you know, the Mexico's sort of um, closure to, to energy, to foreign energy companies. Now that that's happened, that's a huge opportunity. Uh, you know, the energy resources that are being produced in Canada and the U.S., some of those um, reserves sort of extend right across the border into Mexico, and, and U.S. firms really are, are well-placed to, to operate there. Um, by, you know, including the Mexico in the energy chapter in NAFTA um, and by, you know, doing things like ensuring that the uh, investor-state dispute settlement mechanism remains in the agreement, um, that will, you know, stimulate, you know, economic activity in the energy sector uh, across, you know, all three countries, really. You know, we look at uh, prices and buying power for American consumers, and if NAFTA comes to an end, what happens to those? Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a that's a very uh, troubling um, you know scenario. You know, consumer prices for everything from you know automobiles to fruits and vegetables are uh, are impacted by NAFTA in a, in a positive way for consumers. Um, you know, the idea, the ability. That you know, Mexico has you know growing seasons throughout the year, whereas you know the northern United States and Canada you know only only grow certain fruits and vegetables once a year. So the fact that we can get you know fresh strawberries in uh, in February uh, is at, a, at an affordable price is uh, you know is a testament to to the benefits of it. Um, and if the agreement were to go away, you would you know quickly see prices increase for a lot of different goods. Um, you know one. One study that the Trade Leadership Coalition did in partnership with the Center for Automotive Research found that if the proposal put forth by the USTR for automotive rules of origin could actually increase the cost of a car by over $2,000, um, that's, uh, you know, that's, 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 those are real dollars for, for consumers, again, across all three countries. Jamie McInerney is joining us. He's executive director of the Trade Leadership Coalition in the U.S. as we talk about NAFTA. And, and uh, Jamie, how does NAFTA make the U.S. more competitive globally? And is that message getting through at Washington? 
Yeah, I think that's a really critical point, Ed. The idea that the U.S. could somehow, you know, bring back sort of all this production and all this all these jobs that um, that folks talk about and, and do it all in the U.S. Um, is really a misnomer. North America itself is a competitive region for producing all sorts of things. And again, automobiles is a great example. There are a lot of foreign auto companies that come to North America and set up production to serve this market and to export to other markets simply because Canada, the U.S., and Mexico linked together are so effective and economically competitive at producing, you know, a complicated um, good like an automobile. If if we were to sort of tear apart those linkages, I think the, you know, most economists will tell you that one, the, one of the biggest impacts will be that some of that production will leave North America altogether. And I, that is, I think, antithetical to the, the goals that the administration is trying to achieve. You know, security seems to be a big concern of the U.S. president as well. And, and this agreement which I don't think he's really realized yet, does boost national security for the U.S., does it not? Oh, absolutely. There's a you know, fantastic cross-border uh, cooperation on, uh, on security issues, specifically related to you know, the shipping industry. Uh, you know, a lot of things enter North America at various ports of entry, some in Canada, some in Mexico, some in the U.S., and by, uh, by working together, we're able to make sure that uh, those, you know, what, what comes into this continent is, is safe and secure, and, and also as it crosses our borders internally here. You know, we talked about the car industry, and, and that seems to be one of the big uh, the big issues that they're having. All three are having trouble getting uh, getting to. Uh, Mexico has moved a bit today, but there doesn't seem to be enough movement. Uh, it, it looks it just looks like the U.S. wants more than it already has, and is it asking too much? Well, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll reference again that study that we did with the Center for Automotive Research. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it found that the, the U.S. auto proposal, which is on the table right now, you know, could suscept up to 87% of vehicles produced in the U.S. to tariffs um, as, you know, as we try to export them, which is a huge amount of the, the, the current um, automotive sector. And it would, you know, potentially reduce auto sales by up to 150,000 cars. And again, this is the opposite impact of what the administration says it's trying to achieve. So, you know, I, I think there has been some compromise and, you know, I'm hearing that things are, you know, potentially headed in the right direction on the auto rules of origin issue. But I think the USGR needs to, you know, do some real sort of economic analysis about what it is proposing. Frankly, we, we haven't seen that, uh, you know, from the USTR. We've seen what they've proposed, but we haven't seen a real um, justification for why. Um, and, uh, and I hope that they, they, will, they will look closely at that and closely at our study um, and, and think about what the impacts might be. I, I'm kind of uh, interested in what the, the coalition thinks about this uh, deadline. It seems the U.S. is pushing to have this done before, obviously, the Mexican presidential election and the U.S. midterms. Uh, and then Paul Ryan comes out today and says, I want it by May 17th. One, uh, is that even realistic? And two, why the rush? Well, so there's, um, if, if, if you're going to pass uh, a NAFTA 2.0 deal um, through the U.S. Congress, uh, the, the normal way to do so would be um, 
through Trade Promotion Authority. And, and that law uh, dictates you know, clear timelines for when things need to be signed, introduced to Congress, and studied, and then voted on. And I think the, the deadline that, that Paul Ryan put out there is, is about achieving the deadlines laid out in, in TPA um, in order to have a vote this year. Uh, by you know, and it would that would occur most likely during uh, December. So, the, I think the the reason he put that out there is to achieve those deadlines. That said, I think most of the folks negotiating this and most of the stakeholders involved realize that you know. Speed can't be the enemy of the good here. Uh, we have to ensure that we get a, a good and and properly negotiated NAFTA deal, uh, if if indeed we do, um, and not one that is, is done hastily. So, you know, I think the the fallback scenario here could be that you know this negotiations gets pushed out a little bit longer, but uh, we we you know they make sure that they they get a deal that is, you know, is going to be constructive. If NAFTA comes to an end, what impact do you foresee on, on the U.S. economy? We already talked about the increase in, in, in prices, but what other impact do you see on the U.S. economy? Yeah, so we did a study of this. We, we, we studied um, the perceptions of, of Wall Street analysts on, on what NAFTA does and, and what it means. And, and the we, we interviewed about 100 of them. Uh, and the the, the the results were stark. All of them foresaw lower job growth, lower GDP growth, and you know the greatest beneficiary of a of a of a no more NAFTA would be China. Um, so I think it's pretty clear that NAFTA really does help the U.S. and to withdraw from it would be uh, would be terrible for our economy, for our equity markets, for job. Um, um, for jobs and employment, and so it really would be dire impact. And I think the president is starting to understand and realize that. Jamie, I want to thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ed. It's been a pleasure. Jamie McInerney is the executive director of the Trade Leadership Coalition, a group of industries and organizations who support continued American trade leadership and its many benefits for U.S. consumers. Now, sand is draining through the hourglass as time appears to be short. To save the North American Free Trade Agreement, U.S. House Speaker Paul Ryan announced he wants that deal in place by May 17th so it can be voted on in December to give Congress a chance to pass it. The biggest stumbling block appears to be what the U.S. wants in terms of automobile manufacturing and what others are willing to concede. This coming week will be crucial to whether NAFTA will live to see its 25th year. Thanks for listening to the Unpublished Cafe for Unpublished Ottawa. I'm Ed Hand.